generally speaking, the general rules here at InfoFlow around language. Um, that's what this episode was about. Why we listed our podcast not as explicit, even though we will be talking about women's reproductive health. We'll be talking about female anatomy, um, and we will be using as specific terms as we can without being too distracting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that right, without yeah. distracting from the the main point that we're trying to make. Um, but it is important for us as a society to get more specific about our terminology, about the terms we use when we're talking about female biology, female anatomy. Um, there and is lived a, experience. Yeah, and lived experience. Yes. Yeah. I think um, it really comes down to words are power. Once you have all the words, you get to choose which ones you want to use. But the fewer words you have, the less specific, the less you can communicate. That's like if you've ever learned a new language. The more words you have, the better you are at it. (laughs) The more people you can talk to about more things. (laughs) Exactly. Hi there. This is Janice. And Jessica. And you're listening to In Full Flow a show about how to find true work-life balance for people who aren't men. Because the vast majority of advice out there about how to succeed in business and life is rooted in male biology. So if you were born with female neurology and biology, like ovaries, uteruses, and the female pelvis, or if your body runs on the estrogen-progesterone hormone operating system, usually called the menstrual cycle, or you care about someone who does, this show is for you. All of those tips and tricks about how to be high-achieving, high-performing, and productive while also being fit, healthy, and happy come from systems built by men for men. But women aren't small men, and we need to stop beating ourselves up about that. So if you've ever tried and failed at the latest fitness craze or even old standby career advice for highly effective people, maybe it's not that you couldn't hack it. Maybe it's that the advice wasn't designed for you. So join us on our journey as we call BS on all the bad advice preached to women based on male biology and unpack the systems of bias and privilege to find the habits, strategies, and mindsets that might actually work for you. And if you like what you hear, join us in our Facebook group to continue the conversation. Enjoy the show. Hi there, this is Janice, and this episode is about the in-full flow, particular rules of language, how we name things. We're going to talk a little bit about how we name things, the words we use um, around, right, around female biology. Mm -hmm. Um, The female reproductive system. This is Jessica. Which is a really long thing to say, which is why people don't usually say the female reproductive system. (laughs) Trying to lend some clarity to it. And the first, what we first started talking about around this, it all came up around when we were building this podcast and trying to decide if it should be labeled explicit or not, or have an explicit flag. And our decision was not to label this podcast as 
explicit. So we're going to start there and then we're going to continue on with this conversation. So let's go. (laughs) To be explicit or not to be explicit, that is the question. (laughs) And we research. Oh, boy, did we research (laughs) around what does it mean to have a podcast as explicit? Do we end up not reaching um, not reaching everybody in the audience or, you know, not reaching the audience that we were looking for? Mm -hmm. Um, Who is it really going to exclude if it was labeled explicit and under what circumstances should it be labeled explicit? But then all the ideas around what is explicit, just like people's general feeling Mm -hmm. around explicit. And then what's censorship? That was the other part. Exactly. So like brief summary, generally, if you look on podcast platforms and Millie, there are a ton of them, so everyone can have different rules. But what we discovered was explicit generally meant swear words, right? Um, Some people labeled their podcast explicit because they do periodically swear in there and they didn't want to have to edit it out. Others named labeled entire podcasts simply because they were about menstruation. For some reason, the podcasts that were specifically about menstruation, consistently a lot of them were labeled explicit, whereas podcasts by OBGYNs, which were also consistently about female reproductive health and maybe about menstruation and maybe about pregnancy and maybe about other things, weren't labeled as explicit. And that was really interesting to us because then that brought up the question of, oh, what in this is censorship? You know, for example, and I'm going to pause for a second and say that if you have little ears around um, or roommates or you're at work, you may want to put in earbuds because today we will be using some words that some people consider swear words or slang terms for sexual genitalia. And so I'm going to give you a second to pause and put the earbuds in if you want to do that before I say the word, pussy, (laughs) because that was one of those terms that seemed to be the line between explicit or not explicit because it can be used as a swear word. And so for us, that was a struggle. We're not going to use that term frequently. We will talk about that in a little bit why, like what are the words we're going to use and why aren't they. But if you're not using that term, which can be considered a swear word, then personally, I think any term that is an actual anatomical term for female reproductive systems or female biology should not automatically get labeled explicit just because I'm talking about periods of menstruation or pregnancy, or postpartum care, or menopause, or hormones. Like, this literally should not be censored. It reminds me of the nipple censorship that happens on platforms like Instagram, where you can have a pretty much nearly naked dude who has a cutoff right before, you know, you might see genitalia at the hips down, and his nipples are fine, but a picture of a woman breastfeeding get censored. And so, you know, there's that there's that push and pull, like what is appropriate for certain people to hear and what isn't. So I think it's fair to establish that we generally want folks listening to this podcast to be 18 or over or listening with an adult because we will talk about things that you might need to be old enough to understand. But beyond that, should our should information about female biology be censored or automatically labeled explicit? And our answer is no. So in podcasts that we do swear in, and I'm going to cop to the fact that probably I will most likely be the one that sometimes swears. 
I will try really hard not to, but sometimes I get excited and I might drop an F mom. Um, so in, in podcasts where we swear or in podcasts that are specifically where we're going to use words like pussy because we are talking about sexuality, um, those we will probably label explicit just so that you know going in, this is definitely the one you might want to listen to with earbuds. Mm-hmm. Or if you're uncomfortable, you might not want to listen to it. Anything else, Janice? Did I cover explicit? I like the explicit. I think one. you we covered explicit pretty well there. And if there's ever a question in our minds whether mm-hmm. um, you should put the earbuds in or not, we'll put the we'll put that little disclaimer in the front and give you time to get the earbuds in yeah. before we start getting all up into it. <clears throat> so to be to be fair. Um, you may just want to listen to this podcast on a regular basis with earbuds because even if we're not using swear words, if you have little ears, small people around you, or roommates, or a partner, and you don't want to explain why you're listening to a podcast where they say words like vagina and menstruation and vulva and, like, fallopian tubes and ovaries on a really regular basis, like, why are you listening to that? Then you might want to just wear earbuds. <laughs> It's not because we're embarrassed by it, but if this is not a conversation you constantly want to be having with the folks in your life, then you may just want to wear earbuds. (laughs) So it's not considered explicit. The uses of those words is not considered explicit. We're not going to consider that explicit in that sense. But yeah, if you're not ready to have a conversation about that outside, we will put the warning on there around (laughs) around the earbuds. And this next thing is something I notice now that I have trouble that I have trouble with. I mean, now that I'm on this podcast, I have more trouble with it. Um, I noticed that you I talk have. to me all the time and I'm I like, know. use this word, this word and this word. My awareness <laughs> around it, my awareness around it is so is so different. But I think it's an awareness that we all need. And basically using words that trivialize anatomy. So mm-hmm. saying things like, you know, like down there. Or the JJ. Like Thank you, Oprah. <laughs> I love Oprah. Don't get me wrong. Please, please, no haters. No haters. I'm not I'm not hanging on Oprah, but the JJ is not a good good term. <laughs> yeah, I mean it really when we talked about this earlier, um, it is not communicating accurately. And mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with saying vagina instead of the JJ. Like just say vagina. Say the word. Just yeah. just say the thing. Just say the thing. Like, call it what it is. It's not a JJ and it's not a down there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a vagina. So. And I will I'll admit, this is Jessica again, I come from this from the health care, health world, like health coach aspect of it. So when I'm talking to someone and they're using what could be considered imprecise language, and it's maybe because of embarrassment or it may be because they don't have the terms. For me, the reason why I so want us to use the specific anatomical terms is if you talk to a healthcare professional and you're saying, I'm experiencing downward pressure down there, and, and you can't give any more specific indicators. Sadly, your lack of using their language and their terminology may mean that you don't get medically treated at all or treated seriously as if you had more precise language. 
And that thing I just said about feeling a dropping sensation or heaviness is, say, for example, a not uncommon descriptor that women will provide for some sort of pelvic disorders, including prolapse. That's an important thing to get diagnosed. And so in the medical area or in, say, legal areas, if you ever had to report an assault, the most precise language you can give in both of them allows the professionals or to advocate for you, to best support you, to get you treatment or to help you in a legal sense. And I'm not elite. I'm not anything in the legal world. I just know that specific terms are helpful in specific areas. Um, and that I mean, that's that's really important. If you don't have an a language to name your body parts and to name your experience, it's very hard to own those parts and to own that experience and to communicate that effectively to get what you need out of this interaction. Um, so, yeah, you can still have fun pet names, but that's only if you also have the anatomical terms <laughs> to help you through when you need it. Um, and one thing we we talked about and I think we'll maybe do a future episode is also that language provides a boundary. You know, if you can say or you're teaching to your children, it's not appropriate for a stranger or anyone to touch you in X place. Right. You need to be really specific. And it's, it's easy. And it's easy to be like, no, that touch here is not appropriate. Touch here. Well, when you have really specific words for what here means, then you can better advocate for that at whatever age you happen to be. Now, the dark side of anatomical terms, because I feel like I can't not acknowledge this. So there is an unfortunate naming history in anatomical terms, meaning around the 1500s, there was a push for what we ended up with, what would be considered today's modern understanding of anatomy. And in some ways, it was good. There was this guy, um, Andreas Vasilius, I could be pronouncing that wrong, who advocated for redoing all the anatomical drawings to only include things that they could actually visibly see through dissections. Because prior to that, if you've ever heard of words like the humors, um, you know, there was this idea that your body was influenced by these energies that were hosted in different parts of your body but were invisible to the eye. And he was like, no, no longer will we put anything in anatomical drawings that is invisible to the eye. That's generally good. Problem. All of the early anatomists, like all the early doctors, like all the early scientists, were all men. <laughs> Women were not allowed to go into the sciences. Women were generally not allowed to go into academics of any sort. So that means that if you discovered it, and I'm doing air quotes right now, you named it, which means that the female reproductive system is named after all sorts of dudes. <laughs> Sometimes dudes that have, if you look back at their writings, really not nice things to say about women or the female biology some really horribly derogatory things. So that's not exactly comforting. And I'm all for possibly maybe renaming in our anatomy journals and in our medical terminology for, you know, new words. But until we have that, it's helpful to know the words today, like the best language possible. I just wanted to put that caveat out there because there are going to be some people who are going to mention things like, well, did you know that when, you know, you look at what this means, it really doesn't mean great things. I'm like, yes. So, for example, the pedundal cleft, which is generally considered the opening between the labia majora. Um, unfortunately, the root word of pedundal is basically translates as to be ashamed. So this is what I mean by there's some really unfortunate naming conventions and history. On the other hand, you need a word for that. So right now we've got the not so great word. 
<laughs> and I just wanted to be real clear up front. There are not so great words when you translate them. Um, but they are the anatomical terms that we have. <laughs> right. Right. Well, it's, it's historical. I mean, otherwise I'm just going to be talking about down there. Yeah. And that's not helping either. <laughs> no, that, that's not helping either. Um, and the other place that I noticed this, so generally people think to, say, seem to think when I say female reproductive system that I specifically mean the sexual organs, and I do. Um, so, you know, like fallopian tubes is named after, um, I can't remember his first name, but his last name was Flopius, Flopia, something like that. So fallopian tubes are like a conjugation of his name. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's also other things like I talk a lot about the pelvis when I work with clients. And so that is also one of those things where people will be like, oh, well, you know, you have the pelvic floor, which is actually an entire group of muscles. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to have the name for every single muscle, but it's helpful to know that it is like a group of muscles versus like one unifying muscle, which tends to be a common misconception. Um, and then you have like the pelvis which is actually three bones. So what you would, most people would consider the two hip bones and then the sacrum, which sits into it like the keystone of an arch. And sometimes in my world, we also talk about the pelvic bowl, meaning like the whole internal area of the pelvis and every all of the organs that are inside of that, which includes things like your pelvic floor at the bottom and then, you know, your vagina to your uterus, to your fallopian tubes, to your ovaries, to so the female reproductive system, your bladder, your anus comes through there. So it's like, you can see how just talking about the pelvis, I have this one word, pelvis, which means the bones, pelvic bowl, which means this circumferencing area, the pelvic floor. And you're like, this gets confusing. <laughs> so it's also very helpful to know. And as we go through episodes, we might get really granular and define specific terms like that for how we're using them that day because you're trying to split, you know, distinctions between these these parts of anatomy that are very close together and sometimes in this instance don't always have super precise language mm -hmm. or they do, but they're so not in common usage. Like most people don't know their sacrum. They call it their tailbone, which again, it's not bad. It's just <laughs> an anatomical term, um, term that everyone uses every day. <laughs> well, I mean, the things that we're going to be talking about I mean, <clears throat> being educated about our own biology is important, and it's important in understanding how we can communicate better when mm -hmm. we're having medical issues, <clears throat> but it all starts with, um, like, we're, you're not expected to know all this stuff overnight, but to be aware mm -hmm. that maybe my language is not being as clear as it could be. Mm -hmm. Um, for whatever reason, whether it was not, it was uncouth to be talking about these places. <laughs> I love that. Uncouth. <laughs> uncouth. Such a good word choice. <laughs> so unladylike. Um, so we're not trained to be specific and to know about our female anatomy. So mm -hmm. like, let's not be afraid we're going to dive right into it. There's plenty of stuff to continue to research and to be aware about, but just in the topic of language, this is where, this is where we're starting. 
And this is why you'll hear a lot of anatomical terms, um, because I do think that sometimes folks will, even experts, will deviate to the most common term in usage. And sometimes I lean towards that, and other times I struggle with that. Because, for example, most women and men say vagina, when what they actually mean is vulva, which is like the exterior part uh, the where the vagina meets the exterior part of your body, you know, where your labia are and, you know, your clitoris and all this. So most people, when they're talking about that, they don't actually mean vagina, which is which is just the vaginal canal. Um, but that has become the common term. So that just makes it really complicated is if we were ever doing an episode where we were talking about, say, some pelvic floor disorders or people experiencing pelvic pain and there's or hey arousal and we're talking about areas in the vagina well you want i want you to understand that i mean vagina and not vulva <laughs> because those are two very i mean that's just an easy example of where i can have a conversation with someone until i realize and I have to step back and like wait which part of your anatomy are you experiencing this pain oh okay that's not the word you used that this was the word, this is the word you need. This is the area of your body you're talking about. And that's also where perfectly well-meaning healthcare practitioners or other folks end up thinking you have something different because you use the anatomical term and it just happens to be not the right one. And the, again, as, as Janice put, like, this is not a shaming or blaming thing. I firmly believe that this is something that every person with female biology should be taught um, well in school. But that's not happening. <laughs> so and it, it's and it's very awkward. I understand like sex education and talking about this can be very awkward for parents and we don't have great role modeling. So it may or may not be happening at home, too. And therefore, if we're going to set like what language we're going to talk about and what we mean at the beginning of the podcast, that's why we're doing this so that you know what we mean when we say words. And it's not a guessing game for anyone, for us or for you. Exactly. Exactly. No guessing games. No guessing games. All right. <laughs> this next bit is, again, <laughs> reclaiming words. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I had to, I had to educate myself on this. So what does it mean to be reclaiming words? Um, man, where do we start with this? Uh, we could start with the phenomenon of the song Wet Ass Pussy for 2020. <laughs> when I thought certain people, was it 2020 or did it start in 2019? I don't know. 2020 is such a blur that I'm like, when when did this happen? I don't know. Um, but people lost their mind over the title of the song. Like, hmm. Lost their minds. <laughs> the Well, like Jessica said earlier, using the word pussy will be okay in mm -hmm. we're not considering that explicit um but you've probably heard other words used like cunt whore yoni like well yoni might not be explicit yoni has more um cultural appropriation issues which i can get to in a second the whole, the whole <laughs> there's, a, there's a different reason we're not using yoni it's mm -hmm. not because it's explicit it's because it's cultural appropriation <laughs> What can we say about this, though, as far as reclaiming? You're much better at explaining the reclamation yeah. of our words around this. So part of this goes back to 
there, other than saying female reproductive system, which I've said multiple times and I say it all the time and it's very long, is there isn't really one word, um, although a little bit the vagina ends up being this. There doesn't tend to be one word to encompass the entirety of the female reproductive system. Uh, the closest in the English language is usually womb. But womb has a really, really distinctive aspect of fertility only. And that's actually another thing I didn't mention earlier, how, how so many of the anatomical terms really for a female reproductive system really only seem to care about fertility. They don't care about, like, sexual pleasure. <laughs> or pain or anything like the the purpose of woman was just to like conceive and bear children when these things were being decided and named and written. So you have in, since we're both in America, you know, you have in our culture um, and I think in a lot of cultures that have, that have a Christian foundation um, or Judeo-Christian, you could argue, there's this idea of, like, the Madonna whore complex you might have heard about. So womb is very much in the Madonna, like, oh, the sexual reproductive organs are for conceiving children, but let's completely ignore the fact that sex is the first step in how you conceive a child. We're just going to pretend, like, that is not part of this organ at all, or this, or the lived experience of the person who has that biology. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, that means that anything that is a sexual representation of using your sexual organs, especially if it's for with the emphasis is on pleasure versus the emphasis is on getting pregnant and fertility, that tends to have a history of terms that are specific to that becoming slang words for women that are not not positive, becoming derogatory terms, becoming swear words. So that is where you can get things like cunt and whore and even pussy. And I I think Pussy is definitely having a moment, partly because of um, President Trump on the campaign trail and his little grab him by the pussy. And there was a huge, huge push after that to, like, really reclaim that word as a protest um, to that type of action. But also that led to people using this word and reclaiming this word. And there are a bunch of people who are currently working, like lots of sex educators, sex positive folks who have been working on reclaiming negative derogatory terms that are just about women or just about female biology, especially if it has a sexual connotation, because there isn't currently really a word in the English language that encompasses female reproductive organs can produce children, can have a fertility aspect, and can have a pleasurable aspect. Like there is no one. And that's where we get into Yoni. So you will see folks who come from maybe more the alternative sexuality education, the Tantra area. Um, Some of them are trained in Hindu. And I'm going to pause myself for a second and say, I am not trained in this. I'm not a sex educator. Uh, So if I get something wrong and you want to tell me, please feel free to email me and explain to me why I'm wrong. I'm open to learning new things. But my understanding is that yoni is a Hindu word. So it specifically comes from the tantric traditions that are of Hindu origin. And yet you still see it talked about by folks who are like, I practice Taoist Tantra. Now, I practice martial arts for quite a number of years. Um, I happen to know that, you know, Taoist comes from Qi, the Chinese culture. Yoni is not a word. It's not a Chinese word. So this is one of the problems. And I know why people reached for the word Yoni, because 
the way it's used in English culture, and again, since I'm not a linguistic scholar or a Hindu scholar, I don't know if the way it's used in English culture is even accurate to what the word yoni means in Hindu and means to that culture. But the way it has translated over into here that you see it being talked about is a more unifying word that encompasses both the fertility aspect and the sexual pleasure aspect of the female reproductive system, because there wasn't a word in English that encompasses those two things. And so I understand the desire for that word, but I don't think that picking it up whole cloth from another culture is necessarily appropriate. Um, I, th I think we've all been learning better lessons on, like, especially, hi, I'm the white woman talking about this. <laughs> if you don't remember from our interview episode, Jessica is the white one. So she's particularly trying to make sure that she doesn't screw this kind of thing up. <laughs> But she does better. Um, and part of that, I think, is if English is your dominant language, we need to address in our own language better language, not just take words from other languages and possibly not use them correctly. You know, it's like saying, well, we don't have a fix for our own culture for this, so we will just take this patch from over there instead of actually fixing our own cultural understanding of words and coming up with new words or reclaiming words. Like maybe pussy will become the more positive sexual aspect, and maybe it will also one day include fertility aspects too. I don't know. I don't know where we're going to go with that. I just know that that we we aren't there yet. Um, and, you know, vagina, most people think of as pretty clinical, even though they use it as a, like, universal term. Um, but that also brings us to, like, there's the idea of having maybe an anatomical term, and then there's the idea of maybe having a term that's more about you or your lived experience. So, for example, when we're talking about men, men can use words like dick, and it can have a sexual energetic component to it. And then they can also use words like penis, which means it's the like actual anatomical term. We do this with our breasts as well. So you have breasts and then some people will say boobs. But notice how like the charge of boob doesn't have that same historically negatively um, swear word slang term charge almost that you hear with like pussy or cunt. And so the goal for me, I think, is where I'm hoping we're going is we're going to go to a point where we have terms like the anatomical ones. And then we have that one that's more about like me and my common usage of it, of this part of my body, and have it be less charged than what is a swear word or what is a horrible term for a woman, what you might insult her with um, or call her negatively behind her back. And we're not there yet. But I, I think etymologically, that's probably the transition that pussy seems to be making in our culture right now. And we won't know for years as to whether or not it successfully makes that transition. And that's Jessica's little rant on etymology and words. And I really hope I do not offend anyone or get any of those facts wrong. <laughs> Just that if you're working on the evolution of the English language around female anatomy, female biology, Mm -hmm. And like this is the thing that you need to be working on. <laughs> yeah, yeah this, this is one of the to things. Be listening to this, and you have to be working on how do we avoid? What's the next area where we evolve the mm -hmm. English language? This is a good place to start. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. the language has not evolved with the time. No, no. no. 
And I'm going to give a little PSA announcement. We will drop a link down below. But um, there is a book I'm really excited to read that's called Lady Anatomy by Erica Gross, who of NPR fame. And um, it's supposed to be coming out in 2021. And we will link the podcast episode I originally heard for her where she apparently has spending, been spending like at least two years. I know all through the pandemic, maybe before then. Uh, really digging in to where these anatomical terms came from, what the names mean, the history behind the people who named them and what they thought about it, but also where this is evolving, um, you know, where current research is. I mean, we are literally still discovering things, especially about female reproductive health, because uh, the female reproductive system, because most of the researchers have been dudes. So quite frankly, they didn't really investigate it that much. Like we only got some of it is also technology, but we really only got the full imaging of the clitoris and the whole clitoral body I think it's less than 10 years I can't remember the exact time but we will drop a link I, I can probably find the study that it came out in um, and spoiler alert you have if you have female bi biology yours is bigger than his you have more arousal tissue than he does <laughs> and that only happened because there was a female surgeon who was concerned. She was trained in urology. She was concerned that she didn't know where all of the nerves was were. And she was and surgery was being done on women, where there's quite a bit of concern when urologists do surgery on men about not cutting certain nerves or damaging certain nerves because of sensation of pleasure. And yet that same discussion and that same understanding of anatomy did not seem to be happening for folks with female biology. So that's why this study was done. And this is just an example of that there's an ongoing need to continue to research female biology and also maybe name things because dudes weren't really interested in it as far back as the 1500s. <laughs> and there's sometimes an assumption that we know all the things we need to do about female bio about biology, period, um, exempting at like the DNA and the, you know, much more granular cellular level and yeah that's that's not quite true especially for folks who we haven't historically researched a lot on and anyone with female biology qualifies as that there we go okay the question is now next part is will we always use the medical terms on this podcast for female anatomy or just anatomy Anatomy, anatomy yeah. in general. Yeah. And we will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we will. It's one of those things where it's like, for example, I was just doing the kids song, head, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes like that. Right. Like, so there are, there are times where we can just be like your leg, your leg goes into your hip, goes into your this. Right. And there might be times where it's like, okay, so the way that the femur bone sits into the hip socket because the hips are wider in women versus men and increases the angle between the hip to the knee, this is why you can get da-da-da-da-da, right? So part of it is how specific and how many new terms do we really need to throw at you to get an idea across? And if the more common term works and doesn't provide imprecision, especially if I'm talking about something specifically medical, then we will go with the more common term. Like, I don't want you to feel like you are sitting in anatomy class or science class and getting lost because as a very visual person, 
I can see how hearing some of these sometimes could be very hard. You're like, wait, hearing the word, can I visualize that in my body? Can I touch it? Can I, can I, can I figure out where that is? Oh, wait, pause. You've continued talking. I'm still stuck on this new term. So we definitely don't want to do that to you. <laughs> definitely don't want to do that to you. We just want to give you words when we're getting into something very specific that allows you to understand that. So I'll say pelvic floor all the time, but there, if we're talking about a specific type of pelvic floor dysfunction, if that ever comes up, then I will probably get more specific about which part of the pelvic floor or how you know that because, like I said earlier, the pelvic floor is a set of muscles. So to give you maybe an, an easy understanding, you've probably heard fitness experts or trainers talk about abs, and then you've also probably heard them talk about exercises that target your obliques. So your abs, your abdominal muscles, plural, are a set of muscles. The obliques are on the side. So when you wanted to start talking about how to, you know, get your quote-unquote six-pack and get this result and you need to exercise for this group of the muscles, that would be, where, be the type of point where we would start talking about abs or the pelvic floor and start talking about something more specific. Hopefully that makes sense. And please bear in mind, this is like a work in progress. It's a work in progress. <laughs> we we had an entire phone session where we're like, we probably need to set out these terms. <laughs> we need to make this a podcast episode. We didn't think we were going to need to make in this podcast episode. If we'd known that, we could have just taped our conversation and had this podcast episode done. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, boy. But yeah, it was important. It was especially launching this. It was important to make the distinctions. And have our own guidelines of how we are going to talk mm -hmm. about these things. What terms are we going to use? Um, so we're, we're just always going to do the best we can. Yeah. And I think as a wrap up, you know, we can say if there's ever a term you think we misused, you know, feel free to email us. Uh, please email me a link or something like not just I learned it this way, but like, oh, this study says or this anatomy textbook or, you know, Something that's like, oh, okay, cool. I learned something new. Um, and, yeah, I mean, ask us questions. Like, hey, you use this term and I'm still confused. Could you explain it? You know, we're happy to do, like, Q&As that involve anatomy terms and things like that if folks are trying to understand something. Or, you know, maybe maybe I briefly mentioned something and it's medical and you're like, I think my friend has this. They said they have blank and I don't know what that means. And I tried Googling it. It's really confusing. Like, these are all the types of conversations and questions we're like, we're super open to talking about. Like that's, that's why we're doing this podcast partly is education. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and the language doesn't evolve if we don't start using and trying the, mm -hmm. the language that we have um, and just bringing awareness to words that we do have available and that we can use and that are more specific. So yeah, yeah, you can email us at infoflowpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to In Full Flow. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and share our podcast with a friend to get the word out about how we can stop living life like small men and start living life in full flow. To continue the conversation, join our mailing list, get updates on future episodes, inside stories, and instant access to all our freebies.